This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. So last week we, we began uh, a series of messages on Advent, and to do that uh, this year we are, are looking at what scholars call the prologue of John's gospel, which is the, the beginning of his gospel, it's, it's verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 1, and we're calling this series A Light in the Darkness. For obvious reasons, and you'll see that in the text as we we go along today. So we looked uh, last week at verses 1 through 5, and this week we're going to look at verses 6 through 13. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles, John 1, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 13 this morning, which is really about what it means to be a child of God. What an amazing, mind-blowing privilege we have to be called the children of, of God. That should make us explode with joy on this third Sunday of, of Advent where we focus on, on joy. Let's stand together as we look at God's Word. John 1, and we're going to look um, at verses 6 through 13. The Bible says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. You can be seated. And so, Father, we we pray that as we dig into this text today, that we would be reminded afresh of of what it means to be your sons and daughters and and to be able to call you our Father. And we know that all of that is made possible because Jesus has has come. And it's possible for us to to be your sons and daughters because we are are united to to your Son, to, to Jesus by faith. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would open the eyes of our hearts to to be able to understand your word today and to relish it and to rejoice in it that we might go out and, and live it and proclaim it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every family has their their Christmas traditions, even in the lead up to the the big day. So when I was 
growing up, one of the traditions that, that we had was that it was my job to go out and to string the lights around the lamppost, the ivy-covered lamppost in our front yard. And I, I love that job. I look forward to it every year. It meant something to me that my dad had the confidence in me to, to do that right. And so I would go out there every year and, 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 and string those lights. And this is like back in the, you know, the 70s. So these were like these big, fat, multicolored bulbs, you know, the ones that got so hot they would fry your hand if you, if you touched them. So I wonder if they didn't set the, set the ivy on, on fire. But anyway, that was my job. And so every year I would go out and, and do that. And, and then there comes that, that, that Clark Griswold moment, right, where you plug it in and you just hope they're going to light up again this year. They always, they always lit up. But I read this week where a family in Australia put up over half a million lights around their property, and it was actually about 29 miles of, of, of wire. And it's interesting sometimes to kind of see the over-the-top sorts of, of Christmas displays, but really, when it comes to Christmas lights, a lot of times, less is more because they stand out all the more. And in the case of Jesus, the light of the world, all it took was, was one to, to light up the, the darkness. But before Christ came, there was one who bore witness to the fact that he was coming. And so that's where we begin this morning. Let's look first of all at the witness. And if you're taking uh, notes, you can do that on the the back of your of your bulletin this morning. Let's take a look first of all at the the witness. This is John the Baptist, <clears throat> verses six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. You know, back when Dean Smith was coaching basketball at the University of North Carolina, I would notice that whenever one of their guys would go in for a dunk or a layup, that he would always point to the guy who passed him the ball. And it was just a, a way of sort of creating a, a culture of unselfishness, where the scorer wasn't kind of thinking or saying, hey, this is all about me, but he would point to point beyond himself to, to someone else. That's what, that's what John the Baptist was doing. John was pointing away from himself to Christ as a faithful witness. Now, we just looked at Malachi um, a couple of, you know, a few weeks ago, and you remember when we, when we finished the book of Malachi, at the very end of that book, we saw that Malachi ends, actually, with a prophecy about the coming of, of John the Baptist. We saw that in, in Malachi chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6, where the Bible says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So, John the Baptist was an Elijah-like figure. He was going to have characteristics that would remind people of the original Elijah. 
And it says in verse 6 that he will turn the hearts of father to the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And then you get to the, the New Testament, and what do we see in the, at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke? Luke 1 and verse 17 says of John the Baptist, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to do what? To turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So John the Baptist was, was sort of like the, the original Elijah too, and even in the way that he would, would dress. You know, the, the prophet Elijah had been sort of a very rustic type of, of figure, and, and John the Baptist was like that. He was ministering out in the wilderness. The Bible says that he wore a, a garment made of camel's hair. It says that his, his diet was locusts and, 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 and wild honey. Wild honey sounds pretty good. I'm not sure about the locusts, but that was John the Baptist. He, and what that communicates is simplicity. John dressed in a simple way and he ate in a simple way because the whole manner of what he was talking about and the whole manner of his lifestyle was basically saying, this is not about me. I am here to to point to someone else who is coming. Look look again at verses six through eight of John one. It It says of John that he didn't come on his own. Verse six tells us that he was what? Sent from God. It says that he didn't come to testify about himself. Verses seven and eight say that he came to testify about the light. And, and our assignment as witnesses is a lot like John's. And you, know, and you don't have to you know, dress in camel hair or eat grasshoppers, but you do have to tell people about Jesus in order to be a faithful witness. You've got to point away from yourself and to Jesus. That's our calling. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That, that's why we pray for missions. That's why when sometimes we have the opportunity to go ourselves, like our teams that are in Thailand and Romania right now, that's why we give so that many, many more can go uh, and we hold the ropes for them so that they can go places that, that, that we could never go and that one church could never reach on our own. That, that's, that's why we do this. But listen, our calling is not just to kind of reach people thousands of miles away. Our calling is to begin by reaching out to the people that, that, who are in our lives. That's what Who's Your One was all about. That's, that's why you know, we wrote down those names. That's why you're, you're hopefully praying faithfully for your one and, and reaching out to them and seeking to share Christ with them and inviting them to come. We've got a golden opportunity uh, here over the next couple of, of weeks. You know, our, all of these services, every, every Sunday service and, and our Christmas Eve service, it's an incredible opportunity 
for you to, to reach out to people who are in your life and just and, and invite them to come with you and to be in the, in the hearing of the, the gospel and the worship of the Lord. Who knows what the Spirit of God could do in their, in their lives if, if you'll be a faithful witness to them. So first of all, we, we see something here about the witness. Second, we see something about the light. The light. John wasn't the light. John came to testify about the light. But then in verse 9, it says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God was invading this, this fallen planet to take it back. One time I had the opportunity to, to visit Omaha Beach in, in Normandy, France, where our, our troops landed on D-Day. And on that day, June 6, 1944, over 156,000 Allied troops would come ashore that day. They were invading Europe to take it back from Hitler. And within a couple of weeks, like three times that, that many would, would land as just the first phase of the invasion. But in this invasion, it only took one. But, but few recognized him when he came. It says in verses 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In Mark Twain's novel, The Prince and the Pauper, Prince Edward and a young, poor, poor guy named Tom Canty, they, they meet and they, they discover that they are, they're, they're like identical twins. They're virtually indistinguishable. And they have something else in common besides the fact that they look exactly alike. Both of them are dissatisfied with their lives. And so Prince Edward and Tom Canty decide to switch places. And so the, the, the prince becomes a pauper and the pauper becomes a prince. But along the way, the, the king dies. And the the nation can 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 never accept tom canty the new the new prince as their king because all they can see is a boy in rags and it was that way when when the real king came because he wasn't born into royalty he wasn't born in a center of power Jesus was born to a young couple so poor and so lacking in influence that they couldn't even secure a room inside of a, of a normal building for their son to be born. And he had to be born outside in a, a stable, a, a pen that was used for, for animals. Joseph and Mary were, were so poor that when they took their son to the temple, to be dedicated. They weren't able to offer the normal sacrifice that would be offered by most people on an occasion like that, which was a lamb from their flock. They didn't have one. They had to offer the offering that was especially prescribed for the very poor, which was two pigeons. 
And Jesus was raised in a, a, a tiny backwater town in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee, Nazareth, far away from the center of, of power and influence of, of royalty and riches, which was Jerusalem. And so when the king came, few recognized him, very few received him. Do you recognize the king in your midst today? One of the, one of the terms that we, we, we use for, for Christ, and especially it's associated with Christmas, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. But do you recognize that he is with you? Do, do you practice his presence moment by moment in, in your life? The light has come. We see something here about the witness, something about the light. Third, something about the children. The children. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Most people did not recognize him or receive him when he came. But for those who did and for those who do today, there are incredible promises the promise that, that we can be the children of, of God. So what do we see here about, about becoming a child of God? Let's look at several things about this. First of all, becoming a child of God is not limited by race. It's not limited by, by race. Look at verse 11. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus was Jewish. He was born into a, a Jewish family. He, 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 he was born and raised in, in, in Israel and, and, and ministered there. But, but he was not sent just for the redemption of Israel or the redemption of Jews. He was sent for the redemption of, of the world, the whole world. Israel's Messiah was to be Lord of the whole world. That was God's purpose from the very beginning. This salvation was not to be limited to any one ethnicity, any one race of people. We see that from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis chapter 12, when God promises Abraham that through him, through his seed, the whole world was going to be blessed. So what was happening in Genesis 12? God says, I'm going to create a new, a new nation, and it's going to be a special group of people that I have chosen, the Jewish people, the seed of Abraham. And, and he says that, but he says that, that, that my, my blessings are not going to terminate on that group, but, but that through that group of people, I'm going to bless every group of people. 
So that's why God says to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, 3, he says, through you, through your seed, all the nations of the earth, all the families on earth will be blessed. What God was promising there was that through the Jewish people, through the seed of Abraham, that he was going to bless not just one people, but all peoples, every tribe and tongue. So how did that happen? It happened through Jesus, right? Through this Jewish baby boy, seed of Abraham, right? And so what, what's, the, what's the final vision of the Bible in, in, the, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation? What's the vision there? What's gonna happen is that one day there are gonna be people from every tribe and tongue, right? Every ethnicity, every race, and we're all gonna be joined together around the throne singing joyous praises to our Savior and King. So becoming a child of God is not limited by race. Second, becoming a child of God involves a decision. It involves a decision. There's something for us to, to, to do. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. So God has acted. God has sent his son for our redemption. That's the good news of the gospel. But there's something that we have to do in response to that, right? These are action words. Believe, receive. What does that, what does that mean? New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, such faith yields allegiance to the word, trusts him completely, acknowledges his claims, and confesses him with gratitude. So to believe in Jesus, to receive him, is, is not just sort of a, a matter of, of shallow intellectual assent. It's not a matter of just kind of mouthing the words of a prayer. To, to believe in Jesus and to receive him is to, to trust him completely, to trust him with your life, to trust in the finished work that he has, he's accomplished on, on the cross and in the resurrection, to trust that he, he, he took your sins upon himself, upon the cross, paid the penalty for them, that he was crucified for you, buried and risen from the dead. It means that you, you trust in that, but it, it means, it means that, that he is your king. And that, and that your allegiance, right, your loyalty is to, to him, that you're not in charge of your life anymore, that you've got a Lord, you've got a king, and that you have yielded your, your allegiance to him, right? You're trusting in what he's done for you on the cross and, and, and the resurrection. You've, you've yielded your life uh, to him. That's what it means to believe in him, to, to, to receive him, right? It means that you've taken your hands off the, control, your, the controls of your life and that your, your faith and your, your loyalty, your allegiance is, is to Christ as your, as your king, and so this involves a decision. There's something for us to do. 
Third thing about becoming a child of God, it it involves a new birth. It involves a new birth. Look again at verses 12 and 13. Verse 13 says that, that, that we were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Something happens when we believe in Jesus, when we receive him. We're born again. We've been born once, physically, of the flesh, but in order to be saved, we have to be born twice. We have to be born again of the Spirit, born of God. John chapter 3 and and, and verse 3, Jesus says there, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is to say, if you believed in Jesus, if you've received him as your savior and king, if you, that means if you are in Christ, then what is reality for you? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. I mean, maybe you come in here today just feeling like, oh, I just wish my life could start again because I've made a mess of it. Friend, this is the good news of the gospel. Not only can it begin again, it must begin again. We must experience a new birth. And when that happens, we're given a new heart, right? And a new destiny, Becoming a child of God also involves an adoption. It involves an adoption. Look look again at, at verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. None of us are children of God by nature, we become children of God through adoption. Now, you know, I realize that God is the creator of us all, you know, and, and I mean, yeah, in, a, in sort of a general generic sense, you know, he's the, he's the father of us all in that sense of every human being. But to really know him, to, to really be called his child, for, to be regarded as his child, that is not something that happens by nature. None of us is a child of God just by nature. We become children of God. We become children of God through adoption. When the Father adopts us as his own. And and when does that happen? The Father adopts us as sons, his sons and daughters, when we are united to his son by faith. When we are united to God's son through faith, then he adopts us as his own sons and daughters. Romans chapter 8 and verses 15 and following. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we can call him Abba Father. 
for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Look at Galatians chapter four. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Matt Carter is a a pastor in, in Austin, Texas, and he tells about a couple in his church that adopted a little girl from China. And so this little girl was... 10 months old when they adopted her, she had been abandoned and left to die at birth. And um, he, he talks about this couple going to China to adopt this little, little girl, and, and they had named her Grace. And Matt was talking about how, how adoption itself is a picture of what God has done for us in his grace. Think about this. Is there a better word than grace to describe the adoption of this little girl? She could do nothing to become a part of this family. No desire on her part would have connected her with this man and woman who would become mommy and daddy. Her adoption into this loving family was the result of someone outside herself choosing to love her, to receive her and to give her the right to be called their child. Someone had to do for her what she could not do for herself. That's grace. And that's exactly what happened to us who have believed in the name of Jesus. Like this little girl, we were helpless and hopeless until someone did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God chose to love us He received us to himself and he gave us the right to be called his children. This is grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you you loved us when, when we could not love you. When we did not know you, when we were running from you, And Lord, we thank you that you did a miracle of grace in our hearts that enabled us to run to you. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that has never done that. I'm sure in a crowd this size, there there are people here today that that need to, to come to know you through your son. They need to to turn to Jesus and believe in him and receive him as as savior and and king. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts right now to do that, to turn to Christ and to trust him. 
to welcome him into their lives. Father, we pray that during this season of Advent, that for us as believers, that this would be a time of, of drawing, drawing closer to you, of drawing near to you, and of running to you as our Father. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.